Welcome back to Runner Rub Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio as we infect the airwaves with their unique blend of fantasy baseball and life. We were off last week, but I've returned this bread and the gospel. We're into late June now, which means the international free agent signing period will begin one week from today, so we may have some discussion regarding that shortly. This week, a new trend in baseball seems to have emerged, consisting of fans catching foul balls while cradling babies. Steven Strasburg looks sharp in his return Tuesday, hurling five shuttered innings. Meanwhile, another ailing pitcher, Justin Verlander, has had his Wednesday, had his Wednesday start scratched because of back woes. And it is not looking good there because it, is, it was moved to Saturday and now pushed back again. So we'll have to see what happens with uh, the former Tiger ace there. We're going to cover some of these stories and many more over the next 45 minutes or so. So pull up a beanbag chair and get comfy. I'm Roto Rob, and my guest this week is RotoRob.com MLB editor Michael Seth. How are you this evening, Michael? I'm good, Rob. I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Well, I'll tell you, I'm doing better than Nori Aoki. He's a guy we talked about on the last podcast, incidentally enough, because he was enjoying a renaissance season, but now he's on the DL bring a small fracture in his fibula that will cost him at least a couple of weeks. What a sh- uh, I want to remind you, the chat room and phone lines are open. Uh, right now, it's just me in the chat room. Uh, so feel free to join me, anyone out there. And if you want to call in and uh, hit us up old school by phone, do so at 347-826-7358. Now, before we get into this week's stories, I'm going to quickly run down what's going on over at wordofrob.com. Baseball, every Sunday we have the wire troll written by Michael. This week, uh, highlighting Brock Holt of the Red Sox. Uh, outfield rankings being worked on should be released soon, and soon starting pitchers will wrap up this year's positional rankings. Football. Uh, we started working on the 2015 Runner-Up NFL Draft Kit, so watch for us to start rolling that out soon. The rankings are all done. Just adding some strategy essays and profiles, and we'll start releasing them as soon as possible. Basketball. Watch for some off-season content coming soon with the NBA Draft tonight. We are likely going to have a draft recap uh, coming up very soon. Hockey, last time we were on the podcast, um, congratulations to the Blackhawks for a third title in six years. And now that we're into the offseason for real, watch for some content coming soon. Once again, I want to give best wishes uh, to NHL editor Dakota Case, who underwent a fourth surgery for his heart yesterday. Get well soon, man. On the video game front, nothing new this week, but new games being added constantly, so check back soon. And we are now just six posts away from 4,125 in the site's history, so should hit that mark by the end of the month. Finally, don't forget to follow Rotorob on Storify. We need just 24 more followers to reach 50, so join the party. Have you uh, checked out Storify yet, Michael? I have not. I have not. I will have to do that. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's like content curation on steroids. It's 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 really it's really a cool. Uh, I'm really you know I'm very surprised that it has not gained more traction as a social media platform because uh, it's really way more interactive than the one up there and really gives the power into the user to re- kind of create their own take on whatever issue they want to spout off about. It's it's really really very cool. Anyhow. Uh, this week, uh, our top story is uh, we want to talk about Giancarlo Stanton's huge year because the guy has just been out of control. He leads the majors in homers and RBIs, and Tuesday he had another one of those shots, a 484-foot homer to match his previous longest this year. Did you get a look at that home run, Michael? I, I saw I saw a couple uh, of Stanton shots. There was one ooh, yesterday that went to dead center on a frozen rope. And, uh, and, that was and the course, one Tuesday. Yeah, that was that was the okay. 484 yeah. one. It basically it got out of the park in about two seconds flat. It was just boom. It, it was unbelievable. Right. It's, it's revolutionizing a new type of home run. I mean, we're used to the towering fly balls or you know the the, the launched shots, and this is like a new stratosphere of how quickly the balls are leaving the ballpark. Oh, yeah. He hits hard, man. I would not want to be a pitcher if he lined one right up the middle. 
this dude, this dude is just has some crazy power in that bat. You know, um, back in late April on the podcast, we talked about how since 2012, Stanton by himself has more, has as many or more 450 foot home runs than three teams have hit in total. And I, I don't know what the updated numbers are there, but I, I suspect that may be even higher now. I mean, just think about that. Like, you know, and over a three-year period, well, almost four-year period, the guy's hit yeah, and he as many... He doesn't even play his home games at Coors Field, so you got to give him a little... Exactly. Exactly. Well, but there's no such thing as a park that can hold this guy. I mean, you could go back old school, like the, the, the parks from, like, the 20s and 30s that were, like, you know... 460 to straightaway center, you know, whatever, like 420 in the power alleys. They were huge. They were cavernous, those parks. Those people do not hold Stanton in. I mean, this guy is a beast. Um, what's your take on, on, on what this guy is doing, Michael, and the season he's putting up? Well, it's very impressive. It's a shame that the Marlins have not really uh, pulled the, their weight collectively as a team, but he's He's really, I guess, he's justifying the biggest contract in baseball history, or the 13 years, 325 million they gave him. And he really, he's an exciting player. And I think for a team like the Marlins, especially that struggles to bring fans to the ballpark because baseball's not, you know, as big as it as it is in other cities. Obviously, he's really doing his part, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and even more, what I'm a little more impressed with was the scary injury he had last year, getting hit in the face. Uh, missed pretty much the last month of the season last year and really has shown no ill effects uh, from that. The only problem is he's sort of this new generation of hitters that uh, seems to strike out just as much as a homer. I mean, he's leading the league with 91 strikeouts. So, unfortunately, that's kind of you take the good with the bad. Uh, But what he's doing and and as far as he's hitting the ball, it's remarkable. And especially now with StatCast, we can actually quantify – just how impressive he really is. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what your game plan to pitch against him would be, but apparently the, the proper way to approach him is to start him inside with a fastball early in the count and then just go away with breaking stuff. But um, if you leave a hanging breaking ball in the wrong place, look out. And that's exactly what happened to Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals on Tuesday night when Stanton took him deep for that 484-foot shot two-run homer, which was his MLB leading 26 jack of the year. And, of course, Wednesday he goes yard again for number 27. Some people were calling that one Tuesday the hardest ball they've ever seen hit. I mean, man, like I said, it got out of the park in a hurry. Um, and as we talked about heading into action tonight, he leads the bigs in RBIs. You alluded to the fact that the Marlins, you know, are not really getting it done as a team, but he is – makes it all the more impressive that he's driven in that many runs with uh, not a great supporting cast around him, right, Michael? Yeah, that, that's been the disappointing thing. They made a lot of big, splashy moves, or at least what appear to be a lot of splashy moves in the offseason. And, of course, Dee Gordon is doing his part as well, having a terrific season. Oh, yeah. In his, but, yeah. But the run production, I, I think, really is the lack of power. One of the guys that's been a major disappointment is Michael Morse. Uh, I think they probably thought they would get something more out of Jared Saltalamacchia, who's since been released, and they're going with the young uh, J.T. Real Muto. They, uh, Christi, Christian Yelich missed some time, and, and it's been kind of slow for him to come around. So, yeah, the supporting cast hasn't really pulled their weight, obviously. I, you know, it's hard for me not to think that the managerial change didn't, uh, tur- you know, rub some of the players the wrong way a little bit, and I think that that's that and pitching issues have kind of uh, overshadowed what's been a really remarkable season for Stanton and, and for D. Gordon, for that matter, as well. Yeah. Well, it does make me wonder how many RBIs you'd have with uh, even, like, just marginally improve that Marlin team. And, and you know, we, we'd be talking about a guy heading into the All-Star uh, probably at or, or past 30 homers and perhaps flirting with 90 RBIs at the All-Star game. You know, at the All-Star break. It's like we could be talking about historical numbers here. But uh, on Wednesday, Stanton delivered another three hits, as I mentioned, including in there another homer, a solo shot that was the only run of the day for the fish. I mean, you know, like overall this year, his hitting isn't as good, like less than a hit per game. 
but because he's making less contact, which of course you talked about the strikeouts, the highest strikeout rate for him since 2010. Still, because of all the homers, he's on pace for a career high in war. And you got to start looking at. Let's start looking at his career as a whole. He's 25 years old. All right, he's going to play the rest of the season at 25. Doesn't turn 26 until the postseason. He is now within uh, 19 homers of 200 for his career. I mean, Amazing. how many? Can this guy, how many can this guy hit? He's just heading into his right. Like uh, you start yeah. projecting his his career numbers, like I can't, I find it hard to believe he's not going to make a, a a very serious run at 500 or more. You know. Um, well, yeah, you... it's it, it's it's just a matter, obviously, for him. I think of staying healthy. I don't think there's any secret formula. How you mentioned, you know, maybe hard stuff in and then and then sliders off, speed stuff away. You know, there are there have been times this year where he's been I don't want to say overmatched, but hasn't quite. You know, he can be fooled. You can kind of pitch to him, but he will pay, make you pay for just about every single mistake. But when you start talking about a guy who's 25 years old uh, in his, what, sixth full season and he's at 181 homers, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to start envisioning amazing things uh, happening for him. And uh, it's just a matter of contact and, and will he continually get pitched to or will would it become a situation where, you know, as time goes on, will he get the Barry Bonds treatment? But, I mean, clearly that, that hasn't really affected him now, even in a lineup that's probably pulling its collective weight. So, yeah, I think he could, I mean, 500 seems well within reach. And then you start thinking, could he go beyond that? And, and given his current projections, I mean, that's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah. You know what? I mean, as we learned to, contact skills not really his thing, but he has some very good patience. I mean, don't forget he drew 94 walks last year. He is willing to take a walk, and that's that's a good thing. I mean, his walk rate's nowhere near that this year, but... And you also talked about that crazy contract they gave the biggest contract in baseball history. Who knows? It's only year one. It's a 13-year deal, but he may actually wind up being a solid contract because uh, the best is yet to come here. There's no doubt. Like He's, yeah, he's yeah. heading into his pr- prime years. He's maturing as a hitter. I, I'm going to have to go s- say at this point that Stanton is one of the top five position players in fantasy baseball in my mind. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for a guy that puts up those kind of power numbers and, and slugging in two of the last three years prior to this one, he's led the league in slugging, led the league in total bases last year. Um, you know, his power, and, and and it's not like he's one of those Adam Dunn types that's hitting a lot of home runs and hitting 220. No. You know, you, you can produce strikeouts uh, because the average is still pretty respectable. Came into today at 268, 270. I think you'd have to say in his immense power production, uh, he, he certainly is one of the top five most valuable position fantasy players. I mean, I, I think Trout certainly fine, but Stanton's in the mix, and, and given what he's doing, I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. No. I mean, you talked about his injury history, and yeah, you know, that is a concern. There's concerns there, but man, I mean, does anyone have more raw power in the game right now than Stanton? No. No, no, not yeah. at all. He's got a quick, vicious swing and just really, as you said, I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen anybody, at least in recent memory, uh, whose bat the ball just jumps off quite like Stanton's. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see any of the home runs that Joey Gallo's hit since he came up, but, <laughs> oh, my God, he's been impressing me with some of those moonshots like that are just, we're not talking wall scrapers here. We're talking upper deck jobbies and it's like, wow. But I mean, right now Stanton, it, it sets the yardstick, but we've got, I mean, with, with the, with Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo arriving now and, and the amount of prospects and power hitting prospects that have come into the game this year alone, boy, I think um, the, uh, the era of chicks digging the long ball will soon be back in the next few years, quite possibly. Well, again, it's just more of like what we're seeing from teams like the Houston Astros. We're getting more and more power, more and more home runs, and yet we're getting more and more strikeouts. It's it's, it's a bit mm-hmm. of an all-or-nothing proposition with a lot of these guys and a lot of these teams. Well, so that's okay it's, because people, yeah, be all, 
give to nothing. That that's kind of old school. I mean, that's kind of the way the game was played in the fifties a lot. Um, you know, lots of home runs, lots of strikeouts, um, a, a huge running game. I mean, we we don't have a we don't have a huge running game the way we did in the eighties and early nineties anymore. But we, the running game's still a part of the game, obviously. But um, baseball evolves over time; like it goes through cycle. Maybe heading into a cycle back where you know we have a lot more all or nothing kind of hitters, and and there's there's plenty of them in the game right now. Plenty of them. I mean, and Stanton's and proof that that he, I mean, well, he's the highest played player in the game. So he's proof that it, you can strike out one third of the time and still be a highly successful ball player. You know, right? Yeah, he's actually struck out. It uh, looks like just about exactly a third of his at bats. So that's yeah, seventy bats. That's almost one in three. So yeah, he's at about thirty-one percent right now, and uh, you know. Um, it's not the worst rate of his career. So, like earlier in his career, he 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 was striking out even more than that. Yet he's hits the ball so goddamn hard that the his average for balls in play is probably quite solid. Just because you know, unless he's drilling it right at you, he's got a pretty good chance to get a hit. He just he just makes that ball. Anyhow, well, let's get into the box scores of the day. Uh, I was keeping my eye on the White Sox-Detroit, a game where we had some free baseball, went 10 innings. Uh, White Sox hung on in a high-scoring affair to uh, edge the Tigers 8-7 in the opener of their four-game set. Carlos Sanchez, of all people, played the hero today with a three-run triple in the top of the 10th. You don't get a chance to say that very often. Tigers actually, after the White Sox got that three-run triple in the top of the 10th, the Tigers scored twice in the bottom of the 10th, they had a couple of runners on base with Miggy Cabrera coming up. Great, right? White Sox manager Robin Ventura decided to walk the two-time MVP to load the bases. Okay, moving the winning run to second base. Really? But you know what? The strategy well, worked. Well, David I, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do have to say something because I, I know if you saw the game, but Brad Ausmus made a very poor decision. What I thought was a poor decision. Uh, he lifted Victor Martinez for a runner in the bottom of the ninth. Victor Martinez was the first with two outs, and Cespedes is coming up. Put Josh Wilson in to run, and at the time, I thought that was a bad decision. I thought they should have kept Martinez's bat for extra innings. So what happened was, and you were just pointing this out, so that's why I wanted to get this factoid in there, but he walked Cabrera to push the winning run in the scoring position because Josh Wilson was on deck with no more bench players available to the Tigers. So that really, that decision backfired big time on Brad Austin. They say managers can... They don't ever win any games, but they can lose three to five games a year, and I would put that one up right off. Well, that's true, but you know what? That was pretty goddamn gutsy of Ventura to walk Cabrera to put the winning run on second base. Anyhow, that was my point. Like, you know, it. it yes, you could go back to earlier in the game, as you, as you pointed out. Uh, V-Mart, who was, who was hitting very well, and is going to get to that in a minute, since he came off the DL, um, you know, looks like a different player. Looks like more of the kind of player we saw in the second half last year as opposed to the first half this year. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he doesn't have any wheels anymore. He's coming off a knee injury. So at the time, I guess it did make sense to, to pinch run. Um, that's why managers get the big bucks, because every decision they make is second-guessed in this particular case and didn't work out for Detroit. And Ventura had uh, Wilson come through with a walk or a hit-by-pitch or anything Ventura would have been vilified for loading the bases, you know? So, um, players still got to still gotta go out there and execute. Robertson got the job done when he had to. Anyhow, for the White Sox, as I said, Robertson was very shaky today, but did manage to get his 15th save and 19 tries. Adam Eaton had the big, big stick today for the Sox. He led the game off with a homer, his second career leadoff shot. He was wound up going two for four with two runs, a walk, an RBI. He's got his on-base percentage up to 321, not where we want it to be. And he's slugging 375. That was his fourth homer of the year. Definitely a disappointing season for Eaton. But he's a possible waiver wire pick. Uh, he's heating up seven for 13 over the last three games. A couple of runs, a double, a triple, a homer, a couple of RBIs, and a walk. Maybe Eaton is leading up to a big second half because the first half has definitely not gone his way. Sanchez, of all people, was the hero. Comes into the game batting 159. 
six RBIs all year in 37 games. So what does he do? He comes through with his first ever triple in, in his career and his first career three-RB game on the on one hit. Well, he wasn't winning two hits, but that one hit drives in all three runs. Like, wow. Uh, Alexei Ramirez, he's been slumping nine for 57 over the last 15 games. So he was benched today, but he came through with a pinch hit RBI double in the eighth. Um, Carlos Rodon started for the White Sox. Lasted five innings, gave eight hits, four runs, struck out seven, walked three, two homers allowed, 104 pitches, 41 balls. Went up with a no decision. He started June really well, but he's been inconsistent lately, and the rookie was actually in line today for his fourth win, but the bullpen couldn't hold it. Uh, Jake Pedrica did his job with two shuttered innings, gave three hits, struck out one, no walks, got his fifth hole to lower to 3.20 but Zach Putnam blew the save and saw his ERA rise to 3.65. Zach Duke came in, earned the win to move over 500 with a shutout inning, one hit, no walks, no strikeouts, down to 3.30. And then Robertson finished up and saw his ERA soar to 2.84. For the Tigers, uh, V-Mart, who we were talking about before, had a big game today, three for four with a run and a walk, got his fifth double, also grounded into a double play. He's now slugging 321, has some ways to go there for sure. But he's, as I pointed out, hitting much better since coming off the DL last week. So perhaps the buy low window on uh, Victor Martinez is closing, so he better move quick. Um, another Tiger out of a nice game was Jose Iglesias, 3 for 4 with an RBI. That's his 10th ribby of the year, third time in his career he's reached that total. He's now batting 330. He just keeps finding ways to get on base. Really, in my mind, he's batting ninth for the Tigers. I think he should be put into the two-hole at this point, and they need to move Kinsler down the order. They need to mix it up a little bit, I think, the Tigers. Uh, Alfredo Sainz went six and a third, six hits, five runs, struck out five, walked three, gave a homer, threw 99 pitches, 59 of them strikes, got a no decision. He's now been rocked in his last two starts and continues to be plagued by inconsistency. Control, his control hasn't been as sharp last year, and that's really hurting him at times. Jobert Chamberlain took the loss. He was the one who imploded in the 10th. Got cupped around for two hits, one walk, three runs, and ZRA soared to 3.15. Still has not earned a win this year. He was actually looking brilliant this season, but suddenly he's been scored on three of his last four games. So the timing of... Um, Bruce Rondon's activation is perfect for Detroit. Rondon made his first appearance of the year and looked very good, striking up both batters he faced. Uh, also for Detroit, J.D. Martinez continued his hot run. He had a two-run homer, now has five homers, 10 RBIs in his last four games. So if you've got him on your fantasy team, you are enjoying life right now. Orioles-Red Sox, Michael, what uh, was going on? Uh, yeah, yeah, Orioles-Red Sox rubber game of a, of a three-game set, and the Orioles haven't, he's starting to get back into it here. They're really playing good baseball late, starting to get some guys healthy, and it's been kind of a down year for the Red Sox, who before the game it was announced Dustin Pedroia went on the disabled list, Hanley Ramirez was not in the lineup last night. It's just been kind of a string of bad luck for the Red Sox. We saw the game. Uh, Ramirez struck on the hand by a batted ball that ended up being an out on the base pad in last night's game, kind of a microcosm of the way things are going. And uh, this game was a matchup of a current Orioles pitcher, pitcher, or at least a former Orioles farmhand, Eduardo Rodriguez uh, was on the hill, and he pitched very well early on, but now he's had a few rough outings of late, and that included today. The Orioles won this game 8-6, to six, and Eduardo Rodriguez could not make it through four innings. He lasted just three and two-thirds. Gave up six runs, all earned on seven hits, no walks, five strikeouts, and was tagged for a home run. So he gets the loss. He's now three and two. Dropped uh, his ERA, rising to 4.33. The Boston bullpen uh, did an okay job, only two runs over the final five and a third, and that included the major league debut of a young man who gave up a run in an inning and a third named Jonathan Arrow. Jonathan Arrow, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A R O. But the Orioles getting the Rodriguez with a and on the day, uh, Matt Wieters with a two-run home run. What a big – Oh, uh looks like uh, Michael has dropped off there. 
Uh, I'm going to try to contact him and get him back on. Uh, let me just text him right here. Just hang with us there. And I will start talking about the... Uh, oh, here he's back on. Michael. Hello? Yeah, yeah we lost you for a minute there. All right, sorry. The sorry. Dropped. I was just in the process of saying it. Matt Weider's in that game with a two-run homer. What I found amazing was that it is his first career home run at Fenway Park from the Orioles in a number of years. But it was his first home run at legendary Fenway Park. So the Orioles getting six runs in the fourth. Alejandro de Aza, the former Oriole, uh, a three-run homer. That was in the bottom of the fourth. So in total, the teams combined for nine runs. Uh, but the Orioles were able to hold on when at 8-6. to six. And Miguel Gonzalez, his first start off the disabled list, missed uh, some time with a groin injury. Not the greatest outing he'll ever have, but it was enough for the win. Five innings, four runs all earned on eight hits, no walks, four strikeouts. He's now 6-4, and four, ERA at 3.58. T.J. McFarland gave up a couple of runs and two innings of relief, but then Tommy Hunter and Zach Britton with a couple of scoreless innings. And Britton, with his 21st save, lowering his ERA under two now at 1.99. The Orioles knocking out 14 hits in this ballgame, and the Red Sox with 12, so if you like the offense, this was your game, and uh, we saw a lot of runs early. We saw the bullpens uh, pretty much hold it down late, and the Orioles getting a series win against the Red Sox. So they uh, they kind of had the Red Sox number here as Boston it, it continues to kind of flounder in last place. And the Orioles trying to make a move in the American League East, which has become very competitive in recent weeks, as pretty much all of the teams, save for Boston, have gone on uh, pretty big runs here. Of course, the Jays had the 11-game the winning streak. The Rays have gotten hot. The Yankees, as streaky as they are, have also been hot. So big win, a big series win for the Orioles, and nice for them to have Miguel Gonzalez back and healthy after missing a couple of starts there. You know, it's funny. Um, I was just writing about the Orioles-Red Sox uh, on another site uh, recently, and just this week, talking about how for five years the Red Sox completely owned the Orioles. It was like 17-62 and 62 the Orioles went against Boston. And now uh, the, the, that tied, that's completely turned around, and they've won like eight of the last nine or something. And it's the, that hold that the Red Sox had over the Orioles is just it's no more. But it was this for for five years like it was complete domination. Uh, times have changed. Anyhow, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the American League West, uh, I was keeping an eye on the A's and Rangers a game that the bubbled up Texas. 6-3 to wrap up a three-game sweep. Uh, Oakland has now won a season-best five straight to move into a share of fourth place with Seattle and pull within four games of the third-place Rangers. That's nine wins in 11 games for the A's. On our last podcast two weeks ago, we wondered what was wrong with them. That was our lead story. What is wrong with the A's? All we had to do was bitch about them, apparently, because they are back in a big way. Texas, meanwhile, is headed in the opposite direction, having lost five straight to fall into a tie for second place, excuse me, with the Angels. Um, so things, there's those two teams may be flip-flopping real soon. For the A's, Sonny Gray, he just owns the Rangers in Texas. Five starts he's made now in Arlington. He's 5-0, 0.96. His first four starts there covered 31 and a third innings. He had one run. Last season alone, he had two shutouts in Texas. I mean, that is not an easy park for pitchers, and he just seems to kill it in Texas. Josh Reddick had the big stick for the A's today, two for three with three RBI. That's 45 on the year now. Slumping a bit lately, got a day off Wednesday and came back with a vengeance today. He's already within two homers and nine RBI of his totals from all of 2014. Very nice bounce-back season for Reddick. Uh, Gray, not at his best today, but plenty good enough. Six innings, nine hits, three runs, seven strikeouts, one walk up a homer. His ERA is up to 2.09. That's his ninth win of the year. Looking a little shaky his last two starts. Like His last start was his worst of the season by far after a very long run of dominance. Um, one of the things, when we talked about the A's two weeks ago, one of the things we identified as a major weak spot was the bullpen. But in this series, A's relievers get only one run in nine innings. Very good job. Uh, getting the job done today were Drew Pomerantz, one and one-third shutout innings for his fifth hold. Edward Mejica came and got his first hold of the year. He retired both batters he faced. And then Tyler Clippert finished up 
uh, with a perfect inning for save number 13 out of 15 tries. Billy Burns uh, extended his hitting streak to 15 games. He's now hit safely in 27 of the last 28 games. For Texas, uh, the big stick today was uh, one of our wire troll picks a couple weeks ago, Mitch Moreland, who is still raking three for four with a run, a couple RBI, ninth homer of the year, 35 RBIs, now slugging 510. He's been dropped to fifth in the order this week now that Adrian Beltre's back, but should smash his career high in RBIs this year if he stays healthy. Colby Lewis was the starter for Texas. couple walks. He'd only walked two batters in the last 33 innings, uh, heading into the fifth inning of this game, but suddenly got wild, issued three walks that inning, and wound up uh, working six innings, giving up five hits, three runs, struck out three, walked three, 100 pitches. His ERA is up to 4.10, got the no decision today. He's actually been on a major roll since late May, and while he wasn't as good today, it was still just the one bad inning where he lost his control. Still cool. His straight such outing, not bad for a guy. Still available in about two-thirds of leagues, so perhaps you will be seeing him in the wire troll real soon. And uh, Keone Kila took the loss to drop to four and five. He was touched up for two runs, two hits, and a homer in two-thirds of an inning, and his ERA is up to 3.45. Also for Texas, uh, Shin Suchu returned to the lineup after sitting the last two games because of his back. And uh, the only national game we were looking at uh, today was the... Um, Mets and the Brewers. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Just lost my place there. Mets and Brewers, what uh, was shaking in Beer City? Well, finally, at long last, the New York Mets ended their seven-game losing streak thanks to the 2014 Rookie of the Year, Jacob deGrom, who was fantastic today, went eight shutout innings uh, today in just allowing four hits, no walks, seven strikeouts, improves to eight and five, lowers his ERA to 2.15, and pretty easy to state that the Mets, their woes have not been because of the starting pitching. Even though Matt Hardy hasn't been his usual self, the starting pitching and the ground in particular have not been the problem. And today they got just enough offense. They got a single run in the sixth and seventh innings. Even though they had ten hits to Milwaukee's four, just able to scrape enough offense by it was Wilmer Flores with a two-out RBI double in the top of the sixth. Score Michael Kadire and Lucas Duda, a two-out RBI single in the uh, top of the seventh that scored Jacob DeGrom. So not the most impressive offensive performance. But Curtis Granderson did have three hits. That's always good for the Mets to try and get him going. All, three for five, all singles. Granderson raising his average to 249. And they are going to have to find a way to score runs. The pitching cannot carry the weight of the entire team. But the story was really DeGrom. Juris Familia with a perfect ninth inning and a strikeout to record his 20th save and for all the consternation about the Mets' bullpen, Familia has done a phenomenal job. 20 saves and a 1.34 earned run average. And the hard luck loser today, well, Taylor Jungman started the game, did not factor in this, the decision. Went five shutout innings, four hits, two walks, five Ks. It was Michael Blazik who suffered just his second loss of the season, gave up a run on two hits in an inning, although he struck out the side. So he's 4-2. His ERA is at 1.88. He's been one of the few bright spots for the Brewers this year, as has Will Smith. Uh, Jonathan Broxton was touched up for a run on three hits uh, in relief as well. And then finishing with two innings was Corey Knievel. Not Evil Knievel, Corey Knievel. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. But it was the Mets and DeGrom getting the win. And for the Mets, they are back to 500, something you didn't think you'd say when they were rattling off wins like crazy in the beginning of the season. Remember, this is a team that started 13-3, and so if you do the math, they are 24-34 and since then with today's win. And Milwaukee just in an abyss of a, of a season, 27-47. and They are 20 games under 500. So the Mets salvaging the final game of that series thanks to Jacob deGrom. And that, uh, that was earlier today. Um. You might want to point out K-Rod's also in a pretty damn good year for Milwaukee. Not that he gets many save chances, but he's been dynamite. 
Well, that's the problem. And K-Rod figures to generate a lot of interest at the trade deadline. Obviously, didn't get into the game today. Uh, you figure some of these players from Milwaukee may get moved here over the coming weeks, given the Brewers' plummet and the fact that they uh, obviously are looking to, to reload for the future. But, yes, K-Rod also having a good season, as is uh, Jeremy Jeffress, who did not pitch today. So the bullpen has actually been okay. The starting pitching, the offense, things just not going Milwaukee's way. Remember what a phenomenal start they had last year? They began, I think, 20-7, and seven, but really started to just tail off towards the end of the season. And they, they led the National League Central for a lot of the season last year. People forget that. Yeah, winning year in Milwaukee, and I definitely expect them to really uh, break that team up. There's a lot of sellers that I'm sure they would like to divest themselves up at the deadline. Uh, a couple of uh, quick hit notes before we go off the air here. Uh, Chase Utley lands on the DL with an ankle injury. He's been crazy bad slump this year. Apparently the ankle has been bugging him since January. He's been sitting on the bench a lot more lately, not nearly as productive this year. His slugging's been in decline for a couple of years now, but 275? Slugging? Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Wow. It's sad. I mean, this guy was one of my favorite players back in the day, you know, and it's just really sad when they just fall off the table so bad, you know. Uh, I mean, are we ever going to see Chase Utley become even a shell of his former self again there, Michael? Yeah, it's it's hard to envision because this is a guy that, you know, had had some incredible years, was dynamic in that World Series against the Yankees, but really it's it's tough to watch, and you wonder if it's just the end of the road for him or if he just needs a fresh start, reduced playing time, you know, more of a role player to be successful. But I, I don't know that we're going to see Chase Utley be successful, at least with the Phillies anymore. No. He's well past the age where second basemen tend to really fall off the cliff. And for whatever reason, traditionally, at second base, Something happens where they go downhill very quickly. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a gradual decline. It's a very steep, steep hill. And I've seen this over and over again at second base. Usually in the early 30s, there's a massive decline for some reason, and uh, we can attribute a lot of outly struggles in recent years to, to inability to stay healthy. But he was healthy last year, and for the most part, he's been healthy this year. Apparently, of course, the ankle's been bugging him all year, but he hasn't missed much time this year. Most of the time. He's he sat on the bench simply because he hasn't been performing, or you know they just needed a mental health break. But yeah, I, I don't think we're ever going to see uh, anything resembling Chase Utley uh, circa early two thousands again. Um, the Tigers he lost today. They Nicky Cabrera, Brad Osmond, Super. They had been five and zero progressive field this year and twenty and five since two thousand and thirteen. Okay, well, if you're looking for a reason why the Indians can't seem to break the tier two tier two team mold, it's because they can't even beat teams in their own division at home, right? Like, what the hell? Yeah, they they really have. The Tigers have kind of had their number, especially at their place, and that's a place where Cleveland has usually been a pretty good home team. I think that's probably rattled them a little bit. But, you know, then again, when you get picked by Tom Verducci to win the World Series, things are not going to go well for you, as the Blue Jays a couple of years ago can attest. Yeah, true enough. It's just that um, you've got to take care of business at home, and you have to take care of business at home within your division if you have any hope of, you know, taking it to the next level. So... Until the Indians can kind of figure that stuff out, they're going to have some problems. Um, one pitcher I want to mention, Arizona starting pitcher Ruby De La Rosa. I don't know if you've noticed. He pitched him today and has looked awesome in his last three starts. I'm going to look in the wire troll there, Michael. Yeah, he could be a – he looks like a pretty good candidate, and that looked like a – you know, that was the the trade. The Red Sox sent those two guys to Arizona, and, and Webster made his first start a couple of weeks ago. But De La Rosa is really a guy that the Dodgers were initially high on, and then he went to Boston, mm-hmm. I believe, in the Adrian Gonzalez blockbuster deal. He's got good stuff. Yeah. throws very hard, and, and Arizona can certainly use an influx of uh, starting pitching, especially in that division. So, yeah, he's really, really kind of under the radar, as pretty much anybody in Arizona is. I mean, if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't get any national attention, what chance does Ruby De La Rosa have? But he's uh he's well, really, started to kind of find... 
Yeah, they're giving him a shot. Like he's always been one of those guys that you know has been highly thought of but hasn't broken through. But you know they're giving him a really good amount of rope to find himself now, and um, you know that that stuff that he has you talked about is starting to manifest itself. And um, I think uh, this could be this guy could be on the cusp of something special. He's only like 26, uh, so I mean, just amount of career innings he has. I'm looking at him as a big-time second-half sleeper. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, he's in danger of losing a rotation spot there. So, I, I, you know, he's going to get another, whatever, 15, 16 starts. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, well, another pitcher yeah. I wanted to talk about. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you there. That's the key when you look at a lot of these pitchers that are trying to kind of make their mark, it's always important to note if, if they're going to get more of a legitimate shot or if they're in a, a more crowded situation, you know, but in Arizona, mm-hmm. they're they're kind of turning things over a little bit and they don't really have a, uh, too many studs, so yeah, Della Rosa will have a chance, and, and not only to, to be successful, but to actually per- perhaps head the rotation at some point, the way it's starting to look. Sure, absolutely. I mean, when your top starters, Josh Coleman, and Jeremy Hellickson yeah. begins the year as your number two. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely opportunity there. And yeah. the fact of the matter is Arizona's not going anywhere, so you know that they're not going to a trade to bring in a veteran arm and you're going to lose your rotation spot. So, right. you know, if an, he's definitely going to have the opportunity there. Another guy I want to talk about, and you mentioned him earlier because he started the Oriole game today, Miguel Gonzalez coming off the DL by Baltimore. What is going to happen with the Oriole rotation now? I mean, Gossman came up for a spot start and then was sent back down to AAA. I'm curious to get your take on what his future is for this year, but the rotation as a whole, I mean, of course, Tillman's been pretty awful. Uh, Jimenez has been way better than expected, and, you know, like, um, Chen was sent down, right? He got didn't he get options? Yeah, it's it's so crazy. I have so many opinions on it. It seems like the Orioles have kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. They don't really have any true ace. And the, the crazy thing with the Chen situation was he was finding a, a roster loophole. Buck Showalter didn't know how to do that, but Chen really yeah. has been there. They've had such poor production out of Chris Tillman and Bud Norris, although Norris' last few starts haven't been so bad. Uh, and I just don't understand what they're doing with Kevin Gosman. They've kind of just jerking this guy around here. They've sent him down, it seems, too many times to count, and they've moved him to the bullpen. He was in more of a setup role at the beginning of the year. But he's, I mean, at some point, I mean, it's obvious he's the future. He's a, a future uh, ace potentially in the making. So for them to continue to do this, I don't know what it's going to do for his confidence, but stuff-wise and what he's proven, I mean, he's he's proven to be a pretty valuable pitcher. But the question is, I mean, I, I don't know what exactly the rope is with Tillman because he's he's been really roughed up. He's missing uh, a lot up in the zone. He's, he doesn't quite have the velocity. And, and I've noticed a common theme with a lot of the Orioles pitchers is they don't – most of them don't really have great stuff. They don't have put-away pitches. You look at Bud Norris, he's got such a flat slider, and Tillman's sort of relying on deception, and Chen is, needs to be precise with his location. So they they really, I, I really think they need to give Gosman a shot and then stick with it. They need to stick with him. And Miguel Gonzalez, you know, like Chen, he's very consistent. He may not go out and, and give you those eight shutout innings, that dominant performance, but he's going to keep you in the ballgame. He really understands how to pitch. Even though he doesn't throw very hard, he, he's able to keep hitters off balance. And He's another guy that last year the Orioles kind of shuttled around trying to figure things out. Of course, he missed a few starts with the groin injury, but he's going to be valuable. I mean, I think they just need to let Gosman go, let let Gonzalez go, and, and continue to pitch. But they, they have – I see – I spent a lot of time earlier in the year, beginning of the season, before the season started, analyzing the Orioles' rotation because to me that was a really interesting story heading into the year, what was going to happen there. And to me, it seemed like Miguel Gonzalez was the pitcher who most obviously overachieved last year. And I, I just expected him to become very ordinary this year. Um, but it hasn't been the case. His numbers have been good. And, well, here's a question for you. Uh, where would the Orioles be without Baldo Jimenez this year? Yeah, that was such a big story here in Baltimore, yeah, especially. They, they wanted to buy this guy out and yeah. get rid of him, you know, but how could they with the money they invested? But yeah, how good yeah, has he been? Man, 
Anthony Ball. Well, he's been pretty good. And, you know, the, the key for him every single time has been the walks. And when he's gotten into trouble, he, he just hasn't given them a ton of distance. That's really been the problem. This year. It's really been the problem for a lot of the Orioles starters. Uh, but Abaldo Jimenez, so much of what he's able to give the Orioles in terms of quality starts, six, seven innings, is reliant on his ability to throw strikes. And he's cut back, you know, he, uh, to a certain extent. I mean, only 27 walks in 79 the third innings. That's, for him, that's marked an improvement. But overall, it, it, there's still been a little bit of a question at times with his command. But I think just from Dan Duquette's standpoint, just from the fans' standpoint, it's good to see him succeeding because he was the highest-paid pitcher last year and he was probably the most uh, underachieving pitcher last year. So well, it, sure, it, it, I mean, he's, he's cut his ERA. I mean, you know, he's already matched his win total from last year and his ERA is almost a run and a half lower. So he's definitely doing something right. He's back to over a strikeout in inning. You know, I mean, there's, right. a, lot, there's a lot to like this. Right, yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's I mean, been better with his control and, and the hits, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, he got off to a very good start. He was very good early in the season, and he had that game against the Red Sox back in April in which he actually was, was ejected during a no-hitter. Uh would have been interesting to see. I think it was in the fifth inning he was ejected for hitting Pablo Sandoval, who had taken out Jonathan Scope on a slide. But uh, he, he's cooled off a little, but generally they're going to need as much as they can get from him because they, you know, well, they, they invest money. And... Yeah, I mean, you, you know what? I don't think that his ERA is a mirage either because you look at the advanced metrics, you look at his BAPID, which is actually on the high side for him, quite high. His strand rate is high this year. Um, but honestly, looking at his FIP and XI, and his XFIP, this is no mirage. He's actually pitched a little bit better than his ERA would indicate. So... I don't see him really crashing and burning in the second half unless he has one of his like mental breakdowns and completely loses his. But last year yeah, five point yeah. five. And, and I mentioned. Yeah. I mentioned this year three point oh six. Dramatic, dramatic, and the strikeouts are up. So his, his overall, his over, his strikeout rates up one per inning. So we're talking a massive command swing there. You know, less well, yeah, I, yeah, I think the only thing you can really complain about is, is the distance. I mentioned that. He's not had a complete game since 2011. He had uh, eight complete games in his first four full seasons in the bigs. Hasn't had one since. Now, again, complete games is kind of a big thing, but they want well, him to get more in. But but it's been, it's leaps and bounds from 2014. No question about it. Yeah, he struggled it, last year. They didn't know what to do with him, and now they have a guy that is a lot more dependable. There's no doubt from an efficiency standpoint he hasn't been the same pitcher since that big year in Colorado. I mean, he struggled every now and then he can, you know, he's capable of pitching a seven and eight inning outing, but he seems to have morphed into a six, six and a third kind of inning. And then it's like, when he gets around the third time through the order, it's like, okay. He's actually using his fastball more than he had since 2011. Like he's, his fastball uses up and slider is down. Like he's using the slider less and less the last couple of years, even though his velocity is not recovered anywhere. I mean, talk about a drop in velocity in 2010. This guy would, he could bring it 96.1 average velocity. This guy was getting into the high nineties and flirting with triple digits all the time. Now he's, his average velocity is only 90.5. So he's become more of a pitcher. Yes, we hear yeah, that a lot with, with veteran guys. Yeah, and, and he had yeah. an amazing 2010 season where he was, I mean, he was 19 and 8 overall, but well, wasn't he like 14 and 1 at the All Star break? Oh, yeah, yeah. no. It really was, he, he was, they were talking about 30 wins, you know, like that kind of thing. He, like he was going to be the, yeah, yeah. the first 30 game winner since uh, Denny McLean. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, any other uh, interesting things going on this week that you wanted to bring up, uh, Michael? No, uh, if we're if we're doing plugs, I I think it's good to point out. I well, uh, it's never of course, been, I was going to put let you put your pin pound. Just want to make sure you didn't have any other news stories to cover. It's never it's never too early to to give out mid season awards. So head over to draftamerica.com. I break down and give out my uh, mid season award winners: um, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, Manager of the Year. And it's been a year where, of course, we've already had a few managers let go. So 
lot going on, but uh, I, I dole out the awards, and I'm sure that uh, we'll start to see more of those stories come out. I wanted to get a little bit of a head start. So Never too uh, early? Well, I think if you did it in mid-April, people might be a little bit weirded out by that. I would think right. that would be a little too early. Okay, right, but great. no, it's it's certainly it's certainly it's certainly enough into the season to feel free to go ahead and you know make some yeah. half season. Well, I mean, with it, this is a this is a league where you're an all star if you have a great three months. Yeah, well, not you don't even have to be great if you're Omar Infante, but basically mid season all stars. Let's have some mid season awards. Why not? Sure, absolutely. Anything else to pimp? Uh, well, keep an eye on the wire troll. You you may have leaked a little bit on uh, Ruby De La Rosa, but we'll uh, we'll have some more good ones for you. And we we've been pretty spot on with some of those. Some of those guys have actually turned around and 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 busted out to pretty good years. You mentioned Mitch Moreland, Brock Holt, who was on our troll last year, and he was more just kind of a cult thing. He had a, a little bit of a run, but he's actually become a an everyday guy. So you got to give us some credit. We've had we've had some really good names on there. To, uh, to help yeah, you might. At the end of the season, you might have a difficulty putting your wire troll all stars together because there may be lots of options. Yeah, yeah, there's there's uh, some good ones out there. That's for sure. Right on. Uh, well, anyhow, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, I'm Roto Rob, um, and my guest this evening has been RotoRob.com MLB editor Michael Seff. Uh, great to have you on, Michael. Uh, thank you, Rob. Have you on again. We'll have you on again soon, and we're going to close the show with some uh, Sean Lauren. So have yourself a good evening there. Night, everybody. Uh-huh.